Hey everybody, welcome to the Will Powell Show. I'm very excited to have my younger sister, Maria Powell, on the podcast today. Uh, we had an excellent conversation. She is incredible, the young mom woman that she has turned into. I'm so proud of her. And a little bit more background on her. You know, growing up, Maria always craved movement in every way. She was a multi-sport athlete and very successful dancer. Uh, she graduated from Midwestern State with a BS in athletic training a few years back. Uh, during her time there, she began to read about Buddhism, meditation, and mind mindfulness. That practice grew into yoga practice with videos and local classes. After college, she then studied Ayurvedic medicine at, at Southern California University of Health Sciences. She graduated from that program in the spring of 2019, as well as a 200-hour yoga teacher training. And now she is in Dallas pursuing psychology degrees and sharing what she knows with the communities that, need, that she knows need, needs it the most. She's incredible. She's got so much insight into life and what yoga has meant to her and the impact that she's trying to, 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 to make on other people via yoga and the teachings of yoga. She's also trained and led yoga practice for professional athletes in the NBA, NFL, um, She's respected by a lot of people, and so it's an absolutely fantastic episode. I hope you guys enjoy. Without further ado, here's my little sister, Maria Powell. Maria, little sis, welcome to hey, the hey. show. Hey, I'm so happy to be a part of it. Yes, happy to have you on. You're looking beautiful, as always, with your Aww. little curls flowing down. Thanks. You look real, <laughs> you look real scruff. You find, feel like you're finally looking your age. Yeah, I am looking my age, unfortunately. <laughs> Not but in a bad way, though. <laughs> appreciate that. Still staying lean for the most part, but losing hair. Absolutely. And run, losing hair, but, but gaining some facial hair, which is still a little patchy. <laughs> you know, well, it'll grow in eventually. You'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> so, Maria, you've had a long journey in your life uh, across the mm. United States, and you know, you 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 actually ad uh, you you actually adopted yoga later in life, and mm -hmm. I think it's made an incredible impact on who you are as a person and, and the direction you decided to take your life. Definitely. And what sparked that interest, and what is yoga to you? I mean, wh what? What, what are some phrases or quotes that can just define what yoga is in a couple sentences? Is that possible? Yeah. So two of my favorite quotes, uh, one I actually have tattooed on me, um, on my forearm, and it's from the Yoga Sutras. So anytime that you jump into yoga, they're always like, read the Yoga Sutras by Patanjali. It's like kind of like the yoga Bible. Um, mm -hmm. But it, the phrase is, mana eva manusayam karanam banda mukshayo. And that's mm -hmm. Sanskrit for as the body, so the mind, bondage or liberation are in your mind. And I think mm. that was the first point where there, that phrase encompasses how I found yoga or why I found yoga, I think would be a better way to say it. And then the mm. other one that well, I really that loved, down really Break that down a little bit more. What, what, what are the details of what that, that means? Repeat it and then let's get into what that means. So I'll, I'll repeat it in English, um, but as the mind, so the person, bondage or liberation are in your mind. Um, so essentially what that's saying is whatever your mind is, the state of your mind is going to be the essence of the rest of your being. So mm. it doesn't matter if you have the fittest, the leanest, 
the best hair, the best makeup, it, none of that matters. But what really and truly matters is the state of your actual consciousness and your actual ability to be the watcher in your mind. So mm. if you have, if you're riddled with anxiety or, you know, negative thought or, you know, your trauma has just conditioned you to see through a certain perspective, a certain lens, that's what your life will be. Mm. And so you said as the body, as the mind, right? As the body, so the mind. As the body, so the mind. And, and it's also talking about the correlation. As the mind. Between... Yeah, as the mind, so the body. Yeah. And, it's, and so it's also talking about the correlation between the, the mind and the body and, and the oneness of your being, yeah. correct? Yes. And that gets to what the definition of yoga is, that oneness. So yoga, the word literally means to yoke, um, but the full translation is to unify with the divine. So whether, you know, you're a religious person and that to you means you're connecting to your God or, you know, you're a non-religious, more spiritual person and that means to you connecting to the divinity in you. Everything is encompassed in unity in yoga. Mm -hmm. There is no separation between body, mind, and spirit. It is all one. And when one is not functioning, neither is the other. Mm, mm. Yeah, and I think that's you know such a hard concept for so many people to 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 conceptualize, including myself. In in that the health of your body directly directly correlates to the health of your mind. You know, if if your body's feeling good, if you're taking care of it, you're feeding the right things, you're moving throughout the day, and you're treating it in a, in a proper way, then your mm -hmm. mind is more clear. It's more healthy. You have, you have clear thoughts, maybe more positivity in your life as well. But that correlation, like you're saying is, is what yoga is all about and kind of digging deep into your conscious, um, and bringing all of those aspects together, spirituality, uh, right. physicality and mentality. Right. So there's, it's two parts, this ebb and flow, you know, whether you go from your mind you know, you go inward, outward, or outward, inward. You have to take care of both parts because if you're, you're absolutely right. If your body feels better, you know, then your, your, bot, your mind has the ability to go inward mm -hmm. because it's not, it's not stuck on the physical body. Whereas if your mind, you know, you're taking care of your mind, you're automatically going to take better care of your body mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you have that consciousness, because you have that clarity. And so either way, you can't have one be really strong without the other because then we're imbalanced, right? And that's, mm -hmm. that's the purpose of yoga and Ayurvedic medicine is this concept called uh, sattvic living, which means balanced. You know, you, you want this line that everything is one, the unification, the oneness, that's, that's bottom line principle. Right. And, and yoga is the pursuit of that oneness, correct? I mean, correct. how does yoga lead you on a track to bring all these things together? So what, one of the other stereotypes and misconceptions about yoga is that yoga is physical practice. Mm. And that's literally one out of the eight limbs of yoga. There are eight parts of it. So if you think about it, that one eighth of what you're doing, if you're doing the physical practice is, you know, a tool more so. And the rest of it, you know, it's a deeper thing. It's looking at 
morality, how you interact with the world around you, how you interact with self, uh, the physical discipline, which is the physical practice. Then you have meditation, breath work, concentration, um, detachment, uh, self-realization, self-realization. I believe those are all of them. I think I said all eight. So there's all of these different pieces, but once you really start to begin your practice and you dig into your practice, that's when you realize true yoga is off your mat. Mm. And so this physical piece is in a way, a way to align your body and open you up so you can actually engulf yourself in the entire part of the practice. Sure, sure. Well, that, I mean, that makes sense. For me, I got into yoga after a long football career. My body was destroyed, lots right. of knee surgeries. And, you know, I went to yoga initially for the physicality part to stretch, mm-hmm. to unwind this body, to realign things. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, after six months, a year of doing it repeatedly, it was clear that it was affecting my mind as much as my body. It was healing my body. It, Mm -hmm. you know, it was realigning and putting things in the right place and allowing me to control muscles and, and, and control the way I move in ways that I hadn't done before. Mm -hmm. But from the mental standpoint, you know, I hadn't sat in one place and just focused on my breathing for one Mm -hmm. hour ever in my life prior to yoga. And, you know, it's always been hard for me to meditate and to sit down and be still. But when I can meditate as I'm doing yoga and focus on that breathing while I'm opening up my body, it, it's the perfect, it's the perfect uh, combination for me. Absolutely. There's, there's a reason we do it. There's a reason there's a physical practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can delve into this later once we lay some more groundwork because you can, we can really go there. But there is a specific purpose for that. Yoga was designed, the physical part of yoga was designed to align and strengthen the body and to still and balance our energies in our bodies so that you have the ability to sit and meditate for hours. That was the purpose of the physical mm. practice, point blank, period. Makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. Well, you know, and I've, I've had a teacher, a yoga teacher, in the past tell me you know especially in these more westernized yoga studios Mm. where you know people really are just going there for the workout and you know as soon as that that uh shavasana starts they just jump out the door and the instructor really uh went on to say like you guys need to stay like you got to understand that the last 10 minutes of this thing where you're lying still is the most important part of it all a hundred percent and one thing that i do a lot when we're in shavasanas i allow you to have that time I allow you to have that time to be whatever. I don't say anything. I'm not guiding you. That's your time with yourself. My one rule is you can't leave Mm -hmm. during that portion. But when you're starting to come out of it, and I'm starting to bring you back from space and back into your body, is I explain that the purpose of Shavasana Corpse Pose is to resemble this piece of yourself dying. Mm-hmm. This piece of what no longer serves you, what's clouded you, has you know obstructed parts of who you are, it's now gone. Those have left you. So then when you roll over in that fetal position, you've created all of this space. Mm. You've, you've carved away and you've created this beautiful statue because you can't create a statue by adding to it. You create mm. a statue by taking away. Sure. 
right? So then when you have this moment where you're rolling over into this fetal position and it's symbolizing your ability to plant new seeds into that space, into that alignment you've just created, you allow yourself to plant a new seed of new clarity, new perspective, so that when you sit up and you get back into your easy pose and we're closing the class, you just feel before you even open your eyes, you feel what you've created through that practice with your body. And then the mm -hmm. instructor didn't do it. They, pure, they purely guided you through the practice. You did the work. But when your eyes open, you open with that new sense of clarity. And you have that <sighs> moment. As mm -hmm. hippie boo-hoo as that sounds for so many people, that truly is what it is. And you have people coming out of it being like, man, I feel high. Mm -hmm. There's a reason. There's mm -hmm. a reason. So it's. Well, yeah. It's well, and it's really hard, especially when you're just starting with yoga, to get out of that ego state. You know, that state of where well, you're in a classroom. Oh, everyone's looking at me. Oh, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. doing this terribly. Oh, I'm doing this better than they are. You know? Right. And, you know, I've talked about this before. So much of yoga is also about surrendering yourself. You know, you have, mm -hmm. you know, to release that control, you're following. The, uh, the, the, the instructor and you're going with the flow and she or he is allowing you to tap into that, to that, to that heavenly place, really. Yeah, yeah. So that's actually what you talked about. That surrender is the uh, fifth part of the niyamas. So the yamas and the niyamas are like the 10 commandments of yoga. And mm -hmm. so the niyamas are what you have with yourself and that's surrender surrender to what is larger than you mm -hmm. so when we go in there and our ego is telling us this story of well man i'm not very good at this i'm not flexible or oh, i'm going to push myself to do this pose because the person over there is bomb and i need to keep up with them and i'm uber competitive mm -hmm. and or the you know that i i don't look good in my yoga yoga leggings or she is lululemon yoga leggings and i got mine at target mm. for ten dollars you're thinking <laughs> all this stupid stuff that has no actual bearing on the world right right this is outside of yourself right so right. when you surrender to something that's outside of yourself that will actually feed you you can change the narrative of your ego Mm -hmm. Right. Because your ego, your ego is something that just specifically tells a story in your mind. Right. So if right. you switch the story that it says to something that is bigger than you and kind of realizing like in this, in the grand scheme of things, I'm just a person. Mm -hmm. I have a purpose, but I'm just a person. Right. right. And that's not in a, like a, that's not in a self hate or a woe is me. I mean, nothing that's, that's being simple. That's being direct. Right. So. And it's, it's part of tapping into that oneness. When you're talking about the oneness of your, your mind and your body, you know, that oneness also encapsulates the oneness of humanity as yes. well, right? And the macrocosm. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And so when you're, you know, again, like I'll just catch myself, my, like a lot of times I don't recognize my ego when it's talking to me, but when I yeah. go into a yoga class, it's just when everything's quiet and then all of a sudden you start comparing yourself to other people. Like it's so easy to like that, that register, like, Oh, like let's yes. recognize it and let's leave it where it is. And let's get back to focusing on my breath and focusing in the moment. And I just think uh -huh. there's so much power in that and how it translates Absolutely. to the rest of your life. Absolutely. And I think that that's, 
another thing that part that you know that goes in line with stereotypes Mm -hmm. about yoga you know it's you're only doing yoga right if you're doing all the crazy poses and the inversions you know or you're only doing yoga right if you look like the super rich housewives in Calabasas who can do this four times a week and don't have to think and that's it's not it that's another that's another ego story Mm -hmm. right and I feel like for me one of the biggest things that changed my practice was one, I would force myself, whether it was my first time or I've been there a hundred times, I'd force myself to sit in the front row, mm. right against a wall or a corner so that for the majority of my practice, I can't have that temptation to look at everybody else in the room. Mm-hmm. I have to go inward. And the other part of that is practicing without mirrors. I can't say this enough <laughs> because when we look in the mirror, I don't care who you are. We're all super vain. Mm-hmm. we're going to walk past the mirror and see what we look like. Right. So what makes you think if you're in a yoga class, you're not going to get into a pose. And the first thing you're going to do is check out how you look in the mirror. Yeah. But I, I think the, <laughs> but to the flip side of that, it does help to have the mirror. Cause like sometimes you think you're doing something properly, but when you see yourself, you're like, Oh, my knee is way too far in that pose, or I'm really not reaching as far as I could. So I, de- I definitely think that there's a huge proponent in that when you're a beginner. When you're a beginner and you're building your practice, absolutely. I definitely think it's a tool that's helpful. But once you start to kind of get to that moderate, that intermediate level, get away from mirrors. <laughs> because because my, and the, thing, the thing that you'll hear me say when I teach is, why are you looking at your foot? You know where your foot is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why do you have to see your hips in order to, fe- to feel where your hips are? Those are your hips. Mm-hmm. Can you, are mm-hmm. they aligned? Like, look at them. See how you feel. Touch them. See how they feel. It's your body. Get into it. <laughs> I think that's easier said than done. But uh, yeah, but it's part of the discipline. It's the discipline factor. Right. And so, how does yoga build discipline? Ooh, well, for one, if you don't practice in any sense of the form, if you don't practice concentration, if you don't practice death breath work if you don't practice the physical practice if you don't practice nonviolence, truthfulness you know self-clarity if you don't practice these pieces then you won't have them it's just like when you play a sport you have to practice it's just like when you have an instrument you have to practice it's a skill it's a, it's a learned thing everything we have human existence human evolution is all learned but you only can transcend forward if you have discipline to continue. Well, and for you, you, um, you went down the track of athletic training. You studied athletic training in college. You, you, you pursued that as a career. And you, you, you found yoga after you started your career in athletic training. And, you know, what made you gravitate more towards yoga than the athletic training side in general? Well, I actually started to practice yoga while pursuing athletic training. Mm -hmm. So they very much complimented, like yoga is what got me through Mm -hmm. the college piece of athletic training. But when I actually got out and into the career and into the field, it was this sense of I'm only helping part of this person. Right. Mm. So Um, Our scope of practice, especially being in California, our scope of practice as an athletic trainer was extremely limited, where in all other 
49 states, we were seen with a much larger scope of practice and seen as a clinician. Um, but you only could help a person to a physical standpoint. And then, you know, you have somebody who's like, they have no physical trauma left. There's no damage to their tissue. They're strong. They test out and everything, but they still have pain. Mm -hmm. They still have apprehension. They still have all of these physical symptoms. Well, that's not coming from the body anymore. It's coming from the mind. It's coming from trauma, but I can't help you. You know, and then the other piece of that is there was so much control. There was so much limitation um, in the Western healthcare system because insurance got to say when you were good enough. Insurance got to say when you could come see me. And then it also created, with the way that the Western system is built, it created the sense of dependency. You know, there was no, there was no learned skill. There's no learned application to take home with you. If you had pain or you had an issue, you had to come back to me. You always did. There was there was very little that you could do or a lot, a lot of people feel like they have on their own. So transitioning into yoga and this practice of how can I have my own self-governance? How can I own my own autonomy? Like this is who I am. How can I understand and have this body awareness and have this mind awareness that allows me to move through with breath work and meditation and the physical practice, move through this trauma, move through this pain and go beyond it and become a survivor and someone that elevates higher than this, this tiny little physical piece of my life, this fraction of my life. And so that's where yoga became the path. Now, I think training set the foundation to that a hundred thousand times, um, but I, it just needed more. Mm. That's really powerful. That's really powerful. And super cool that you actually decided to, to follow up and pursue, you know, that, that, that initial passion after already, you know, establishing your career in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And, and so, I, I mean, on the mental side of it, you know, what is being done through yoga practice that, you know, positive, positively impacts the mind so much and your emotional state? Well, it's the whole, like I said before, so yoga has the physical piece to help settle your body and to allow stillness to come forward. But you have to be able to truly become so self-aware when you're working through these things. So speaking to my own story, I had, I had a lot of instability in my life, instability in my mind, instability in my physical body in such a literal sense. Um, and instability in my emotions. And in that sense, I was ruled by chaos. I was bound by chaos. And so with yoga, it taught me how to physically move, guided by my breath, through things without attaching to them in a way where I was overrun by emotion or I was ruled by pain or I was ruled by a chaotic mind. It, it, it pulled that away. And, you know, speaking to the portion of our life that, you know, we shared together and, you know, grieving the loss of our father, mm -hmm. I was in, in that sense, it mirrored a lot of other times in my life where that was a point where emotion could have taken me so far out of my being and so far down to 
a bottomless pit of despair, essentially, not mm-hmm. to be super melodramatic about it, but mm-hmm. it's that fear of falling into that hole made me extremely stoic and closed off. And the only place where I felt like I could truly process through it was when I got on my mat and I allowed my breath to guide release. And I allowed that motion and that flow that I had of bursting into sobbing tears, but I would continue through this and it would physically show you that you Mm. can move through emotion without being controlled by it. Right. Well, that's, that's fascinating because you know, some of the times, you know, where I've been most stressed out in my life where I'm either traveling a lot or I'm just with people all the time and I don't have the ability to get that alone time to just think and relax and, and meditate. And right. it'd be funny because whether that's two weeks, whether that's two months of, of being on the road like that, when I finally, when I finally get the courage to sit down and be still and start flowing a little bit, I almost mm-hmm. always start bawling, just crying yeah. tears, just <laughs> letting it go. Cause it's like all these emotions that you've been masking for months, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and you, you've just been ignoring for the most part. Maybe you knew they were there. Maybe you didn't know they were there, but when you just settle everything and breathe and move, it, it just all comes to the service. And, you know, it's not a bad thing when I cry, it feels no. phenomenal after it done. It just feels like, a tremendous sense of gratification and love right. for life and, and, mm-hmm. and my life. And uh, so I can absolutely relate to that. Absolutely. And then, you know, there's the breathwork piece, there's the movement piece. And then the three things that kind of really made the difference and kind of catapulted my personal practice was practicing Prachahara which is detachment from your desires, practicing Dharana, which is the concentration, and then practicing Dhyana, which is uh, meditation. So Mm -hmm. going into that place of when I have an emotion, examining that emotion, you know, detaching from it a little bit and taking a step back within myself and saying, well, what is this? Mm. Okay, why do I have this response? Okay, you know, you you go to yourself and what you feel with understanding. And when you take that time and you you allow your breath work and you allow that concentration to really look at what you're going through and what you're feeling, that acknowledgement makes it real. But that non-attachment allows it to move away. It doesn't allow it to create a story. Right, right. And so that's, that's so important because... Then when you move into the meditation, right, where mindfulness and meditation are two completely different things. So mindfulness is being aware, taking awareness to who you are, what you're doing, what you're going through, where meditation is the opposite. Meditation is pulling back. Meditation is being the seer and just watching things as they happen not hyper-focusing in the action and being vigilant. It's just allowing to see that your mind creates thoughts. Yep, cool, next. (laughs) Right, right, right. Well, and that's the whole battle of meditation in general, right? I mean, it's, it's like you said, to become the observer, to look at things more objectively. And, you know, a, a lot of times you hear the 
a way to, to look at meditation as, you know, let's say your thoughts are, there's a million ways to, to frame this, right. but you know, your, your thoughts are on a, on boats on a stream and you watch them go down the river and mm-hmm. they just keep going. So you, you, you have a thought, Oh, um, I need to pay my car payment today. Oh, there it is. And there it goes away. You, right. you, you acknowledge it's there and you let it go. I mean, that's correct. And I think- right. A hundred percent. And I think that when most people who have never meditated before hear that, they're like, how, how do I not attach? They're my thoughts. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. But how many times do you have just like countless thoughts through your head a day that they just make noise? It's just background noise. Mm-hmm. You're not actually paying attention to them, but they're there. But right. somehow it's certain ones, right? It's certain thoughts that'll trigger you. And then you have an emotional mm-hmm. response and then you become reactive right. and it's, it's teaching you how to be non-reactive, how to hover above it, how to get to your crown chakra, how to get all the way up there and just be above it. And not in the belittling sense, not right. in, in the sense that you should shame yourself for having thoughts. It's what your brain does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just always coming back to the breath when your mind starts to wander because it is going to wander. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just come back to counting your breath, whatever that is, and letting it go in and go out. And, right. you know, just being comfortable. You're being aware of, of the most basic human function that we have. Yet this basic function is what keeps right. all of us alive. Right. So the breath one of, of my life. favorite poof man <laughs> the, the uh one of my favorite books ever so if you're a first time beginner and you're like what the hell is any of this this is like voodoo hippie stuff i'm not with it mm-hmm. i highly suggest reading the buddha walks into the bar mm-hmm. um you know you and they talk it? a lot so great um it's a great one to listen to if you're a runner um okay. but you know they talk about little things and when you start saying when you breathe in you know in your mind in and when you exhale saying out and then when you find that moment where you find yourself drifting into a story that your mind is creating to acknowledge it and use trigger words like saying thinking to cue yourself back to get back to your breath right and that was tips those were tips that i used in the beginning and in the beginning i would only meditate for two minutes at a time Mm-hmm. And then as my meditation practice developed, I got to the point where I can meditate for an hour. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it may not be an hour every single day. I may only have five minutes here and there throughout my day, but I would rather give myself that time to recenter and to bring myself back than to sit there and get angry at myself trying to force myself into an hour meditation or force myself into something that's not an organic process. Well, I think that's really important uh, for us to discuss too, is that anyone who is new to yoga or new to meditation, you know, what is your advice as far as you don't have to do an hour of yoga, you don't have to do an hour of meditation, no. like start slow and build up to your practice. You're not going to go out and run a marathon the first if you haven't ran in five years right right walk us through that so my biggest suggestion for a lot of people because again we have those ego stories that make us really fearful of stepping into a class so one thing that i suggest is youtube like youtube 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 hop on there there are 30 minute flows there are five minute 10 minute flows whatever you feel comfortable with 
get a mat, a cheap mat, get in your house and just start to feel and have fun with it. Make it fun mm -hmm. in the beginning. The serious part of it can come later, right. right? You think about it in the same way we think about like little kids playing sports versus elite people playing sports, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell a four-year-old girl to go run this route and have her be perfect, right? I'm, go pick up the ball and just go run around in circles for a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. And listening to somebody on a YouTube video where you have these condensed little moments that make you feel comfortable and get you started with poses builds you up. And then the meditation piece is start with guided meditations, man. There right. are so many amazing apps. There's uh, insight timer, headspace, calm, and you can find meditations that are two minutes long, five minutes long, whatever exactly. it is. And that person is cueing you and walking you through. And the even cooler part about it is with apps like that, you can set a timer on your phone for a reminder at a specific time every single day to get a notification saying, did you meditate today? Yes, yes, exactly. And so then you have that accountability, that discipline piece to remind you like, hey, let's keep going. This is a thing mm -hmm. we've got to keep doing. So those are, those are my suggestions to start really little keep it light, keep it fun. And then as it grows, then you can take it more serious. Absolutely. And I think that people who, you know, have dabbled in it a little bit and who have looked on YouTube and still are just not sold on it. I do think at that point there would be tremendous value in going to a studio. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Because, cause I didn't really, it didn't really click to me as far as how much I enjoyed yoga until I actually went into an actual studio um and i'm obsessed with hot yoga you know that yes. <laughs> for yes, better or for worse yes. but um, when you go there and you have when, when you when you actually have a credible knowledgeable teacher and instructor there's just yeah. nothing better and and no never never ever and the thing about that is too is i think one reason that resonated for you more than somebody who is a beginner is because you have so much confidence when it comes to a physical practice. Sure. Like you're not going to be a guy that walks into a studio and is like, I can't do this. Like one, you're uber competitive. And two, yeah. and two, you're physic. You have a physical, uh, an amount of physical motivation in your life already. Mm -hmm. So you, and, and on top of that, you're very coachable. You're okay with being coached. Sure. There's no self-consciousness there. Right. Sure. So sure. you're going to be a person that could jump into a class and be like, okay, tell me what to do and I could do it versus yeah. somebody who's never been physical in their life. Right. Is super shy. You know, that's, that's a very scary practice to just jump into something like that. And just like with anything, there's good teachers and bad teachers. So the other thing that I would suggest is when you first start and you step away from YouTube and you're ready to start stepping into a uh, physical studio, studio hop. Mm -hmm, exactly. Don't, don't just find the closest thing to your house and be like, this is it. This is all there mm -hmm, is. Mm -hmm. The promise is not. Because when I moved to Los Angeles, I studio hopped for about a year and a half wow. before I really found somewhere where I was like, this is it. Mm -hmm. This is the one. And it's when you find those moments and even in the studio, hop from teacher to teacher, see who you yeah. like, see who you connect with. And then all of a sudden you're going to find that one. And it's like, all of a sudden they become your guru. Yes. 
exactly exactly it's all good stuff i'm so i'm I'm super happy that we share this passion and one that you know i can't keep up with as much where i'm living outside the united states you know i right. i'm a tremendous fan of the americanized yoga <laughs> uh, <laughs> as you refer to it um yeah but, well let's break that down because yeah so, let's get into that <laughs> because i don't think people realize that a lot of the time when they're going to these yoga studios that what they're doing isn't really the original yoga yeah no not at all um so <laughs> uh there's definitely a little bit of like the yoga enthusiasts and then there's like the yoga purists mm -hmm. to say um and the purists are the more traditional um where the enthusiasts are like Oh my God, core power. Here we go. Like that's. <laughs> Let's get sweaty. Oh my gosh. Sculpt, stack your weights. Here we are. Like that's. <laughs> Which by the way, you know, sculpt. No, no shame. No, that. no shame. No shame. I'm just showing oh. the contrast, the right. big, big contrast. So traditional yoga, you know, obviously started in India and traditional yoga, like I said, was something that was designed to physically align, strengthen, and still the body for meditative practice. Um, and then you had people, you know, in the, I want to say like in the 1940s, you started having people coming over to the United States and dropping in Santa Monica and it just like exploded, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest thing that took it off is capitalism, right? You know, you're in America, you've got to, where in India, you have things like yoga and Ayurvedic medicine as a literal part of life. Mm -hmm. It's a part of the culture. Um, and it's ingrained in everything versus uh, in America, where anything that's physical practice, it's like, you have to pay $154 a month to be here. Right. And, and, and it's more monetized. And it's just about the physical piece, where in traditional, it is about the whole. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the biggest difference is the intention, the intention for why the practice is there and the intention as to what the after effect, what is the cause of this? You know, what's, what's moving after? And that's, that's a really big part of it because with Western, you're going to have your clubs, you're going to have your styles of teaching, you're going to have your heated studios, your hot studios, your dry studios, your, you know, you have all these different versions where you have multiple versions in India, but most people, when you truly practice, you're practicing with a singular guru. It's very spiritual and there's no separation of that at all. Right. And again, I don't think you're, you're trying to bash the Western side of it either. No, it's it's no. just more of just making people aware of what the actual situation is right. and, and how yoga has evolved. I mean, when I do a yoga sculpt class, one of the heart in, in some heat, hundred degrees heat, it's one of the hardest workouts you'll ever do in your entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and the intention is for a workout, right? But right. You know, if you're getting more to this, uh, what am I looking for to the other yoga to the more foundational yoga mm -hmm. it, it is you know they're focusing more on the completeness the wholeness the, the mind the body so I'll say it like I'll say it like this put it very simply is yoga in the traditional sense is spiritual 
-hmm. yoga in the Western sense is fitness. That makes sense. That makes sense. So, uh, Maria, we, I mean, we've got so much that we can talk about. We're going to have to do another episode very soon. Yes. I'm serious about that. Um, you know, yoga has a, a, a large background of Buddhism and, you know, what, what are some, what are some of the Buddhist teachings that you've adopted that have just turned your life upside down and allowed you to, to take that light and just shine brighter as cliche as, as that sounds? Well, okay. So I won't say that yoga has its foundation in Buddhism. I wouldn't necessarily say, I'd say they all kind of like cross over and mirror each other and whatnot like that. But I think. So what else is involved in it then? I mean. Oh, a lot. Because a lot of, a lot of, because a lot of the things that people, another misconception is that yoga is a religion or yoga is attached to a religion and it's not. A lot of religions are based off of yoga. Okay. And so, like, we would say, like, Buddha is a yogi. Mm-hmm. And then, like, expanded his philosophy through his lens. Interesting. That kind of thing. But one of the biggest things from Buddhism that really started to change me was, um, you know, the Four Noble Truths and then, like, the Eightfold Path. Like, they're kind of their Ten Commandments and looking into, you know, the basic principle that stands above all of this that, you know, there is a Buddha in everyone. There is divinity in everyone. But you cannot get there if your life is riddled with extra materials, uh, anxieties, depression, adding on to your sculpture mm. and cutting away, right? Because you think about the Buddhist story, which many people don't know. He was rich yeah. and he went off to find enlightenment and he took his servant with him. And he still couldn't get it after all this searching. So what did he do? He cut the last piece away and sent his servant home. And says, it just has to be me. Because if I can't find my story and understand my story and then rewrite it, how can I ever see outside my own story? I can never, I have to shed what is not me or I have to shed these perceptions that I think I am in mm-hmm. order to enlighten with my highest self. Right, right. You can't go up if you're weighed down. Right. Well, in the story of Buddha is also quite fascinating in that Buddha was a king and his father was trying to shelter him from mm-hmm. all of the poverty, all of the poor right. people, all of the bad things that were going on in the world. And like you said, um, I'm not sure exactly at what age, um, but uh, he decided to leave and, and expose himself to these things and go up on his own. And as you said, to, to, to become enlightened. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I think a lot, I think the biggest part too, was I lived with, you know, with the things that I was dealing with, I lived in fear of almost everything. Mm-hmm. Everything scared me to some degree. And, you know, even in that end all, end all be all fear of death. And when you start to practice, Buddhist philosophy and yogic philosophy, there's this freedom of, well, why are you attaching to that fear? Mm -hmm. Why is that controlling you? This is, this is, but truth. This is what it is. You can, you can say it any way you want to say it, but when you look at things that are, that are outside of your control, there's no sense in trying to control them by attaching something to it 
that then you can understand through that lens. Why not just see it as it is? Mm. And when you see it as it is, you take away that power, you take away that unneeded emotion and you have freedom. Right. That's it. That's it. There's That's no it. way around it. That's it. We, we got we to gotta call it there. I think we end on that, Maria. That was fantastic. So thank you so much, Maria. I'm so proud of you. I love you lots. Um, as I said, I think we got to do the next, the next uh, podcast on a, a variety more topics right. of, of what we didn't get to today. Right. Uh, maybe we'll put some questions out there for the viewers to see what they have to ask you directly. But Absolutely. Thank you. And I hope you have a lovely day. You too, bro. Thank you so much. Love you dearly. Namaste, bro. Namaste, homie. <laughs> <laughs> okay.